0: Our ambition at Vibe, and our mission is to find every cure for every community and not just the 250 who are accredited investors or qualified purchasers that are allowed to participate in these sorts of traditional type institutions. So that's why we chose Web3 and that's what we're passionate about committing to this ecosystem and hopefully being the first to show how Web3 and biotech can merge and and work together collaboratively.
1: Happy Friday and welcome to Not Boring Founders. This is not just any Friday, this is the Friday before the 4th of July weekend here in the United States of America. So if you're listening to this on your way to the beach or the lake or the mountains or just hanging out at home for the weekend and having some hot dogs and burgers with friends, I hope that this sends you out on an optimistic note. Over the past couple of weeks, I've unintentionally and then intentionally waded into the Web3 debate Specifically, are there any Web3 use cases that will add real value to real people's lives? And if so, are those cases worth the hype? Today's guest, Alok Tae, is the co founder and CEO of Vibe Bio. He and his co founder, Joshua Foreman, are building a community of patients, scientists, and partners committed to identifying, funding, and developing promising treatments to rare diseases and empowering patient communities with unprecedented ownership over the process. Essentially, they're building a DAO that will fund drug development in partnership with patient communities, develop drugs and bring them to market to address the 95% of rare diseases out there that don't currently have cures, not because the science isn't there, but because the funding isn't there for these relatively small market. The hint is in the name itself, rare diseases. Because they're rare, there aren't enough patients who might need the drugs for large pharmaceutical companies to justify spending time on these, as opposed to other drugs. Vibe believes that by working with patient communities hand-in-hand, they'll be able to bring cures and therapeutics to market that otherwise wouldn't get to market. If Vibe Bio is successful, it will literally save and improve lives. You'll hear a lot from Aluctidan exactly how they're doing it and what Web3 allows them to do that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. It's a really fascinating conversation and a company that you want to root for. You want to see this one succeed. And so I really hope you enjoyed the conversation that I have with Loke. Before we get there though, another crypto company, maybe the crypto company, the presenting sponsor of all of season two of Not Boring Founders. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's FTX US. As the markets are blowing up around us, there's one company that seems to be stronger than ever. That's FTX at this point. If you've been listening to not boring founders, if you use Twitter at all, if you've been to a game at the Miami heat stadium, if you watch formula one, if you follow Tom Brady on social media, or if you're a professional crypto trader, you've heard of FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried its founder is one of the youngest self-made billionaires in the world. And one of the richest 30 year olds in the world. And he even recently made the time 100 list. What he and FTX have built in just a few short years is astounding. An investor I talked to the other day said that of all the companies in his portfolio, even at this valuation, FTX is the one that he's most bullish on. It's one of the platforms most trusted by professional crypto traders, and now they're bringing that power to you and me, regular traders, with the FTX app. The FTX app is the most affordable way to buy crypto, NFTs, and now even stocks. Recently, FTX announced that you can trade stocks in the very same place that you can trade cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, and even Doge. Just last week, it was announced they're acquiring a Not Boring Capital portfolio company in bed to even further strengthen their capabilities on that side. FTX has the best liquidity, which is incredibly important in a market like this, as we're all seeing, and the cheapest fees in the industry for both sophisticated investors and for more retail-focused users who just want a dollar cost average and buy crypto once in a while. We're huge fans of FTX over here, in Not Boring, and thankfully they're huge fans of all of you as well. They want to give you a free coin. If you trade $10 worth of crypto by going to download the FTX app in your app store of choice and entering the code, not boring when you sign up, or you can just click the link in the show notes below. Check out the FTX app to upgrade your investing experience and to say thank you to our friends at FTX US for sponsoring conversations like this one with VibeBios Alok Tai.
0: Alok, welcome to not boring founders. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Paki. You know, it's been great, one, having you on the cap table, but also uh, the opportunity to to talk to the audience today.
1: Yeah, it's going to be fun. So I'm going to start with the place, which I think is going to be a really fun one for for Vibe in particular, which is what the world looks like in a decade if Vibe Bio is successful.
0: You know, I think the world is going to look very different in the context of medicines and healthcare, namely one that has patients in the driver's seat of drug development, not profits in politics. VibeBio aspires to build the largest collective of patients, scientists, and doctors around a common mission of finding every cure for every community. In this circumstance, what Web3 has demonstrated is that the more vibrant, the more committed the community, the more capital that's available to it. And in drug development, the problem is not finding a potential treatment, it's funding it. And so if we can truly achieve this broader mission of building this large, vibrant community, Then first and foremost, we see a world where patients and their communities actually own the medicines that they're developing for the disease that they care about. Number one, but number two then becomes when you look at actually the broader drug development environment today, roughly one in $3 you spend on a medicine goes to the sales and marketing activity related to that medicine. Now imagine if you are actually the patient who's interacting directly with the health system and have ownership over the medicine and the process. This unprecedented level of ownership also gives you an incentive to be able to educate the health system on the disease and the therapy that you're working to develop. So in addition to being able to own the intellectual property and the actual drug development process, we see the community also being able to own the distribution as well. But then as we go from owning the intellectual property and the drug itself, the community owning the distribution We think there's also a real unique opportunity for the community also to own the infrastructure and the business process behind drug development. Think of all the paper that gets pushed around, all the spreadsheets that's used to manage these data and corresponding activities, but now instead could actually be embedded in smart contracts that the community can actually write and, and own. So we see this as the future for the trillion dollar plus life science industry, which is one that puts the patient truly at the center, empowers them with community ownership. And we think we're just sort of showing that inevitability and how it applies specifically to the biotech sector. There's so much to, to unpack in there. We're gonna get into how drug
1: development works today, what the challenges with model are for rare diseases specifically, and a whole lot more. But I guess to start, go back to the beginning. What's your background? how do you decide
0: to go from the traditional world into building Bio? For sure. You know, I think my background is somewhat, I think perhaps off the in path compared to others in the Web3 space. I'm actually a scientist by trade and training. I spent about 15 years at the bench doing research. My collaborator won the Nobel prize in 2016. And I spent time at Harvard working for a very famous chemist who started Genzyme, the big biotech company company. Then spent some time in the software world, focused on biotech. And then mid last year, my wife and I were focused on starting our family. We were fortunate enough to have our first kid last year, though the pregnancy went okay. Unfortunately, our daughter was born very sick and spent a long time in the hospital. One of the hardest parts about that experience was that though the diseases that she had were somewhat common, the biology well understood, unfortunately, there were no dedicated therapeutic options available to her. And as a consequence, she spent a long time suffering in the hospital. I'm sure you can appreciate being a father yourself, how big of a life-changing experience it is having a child, much less one who's sick at birth. Yeah. And when you're inevitably spending a lot of time in the NICU, you also end up spending a lot of time with other families who have sick children. And one of the common threads, I think, that tied us all together was that we had a tremendous amount of hope that there would be a potential therapy to treat our loved one's illnesses. But all we lacked was a little bit of help, namely capital, to be able to move these medicines into patients. In the area of drug development, especially rare diseases, the challenge is not finding a potential treatment, it's funding it. And so we launched Bio last year. My co-founder, Josh Foreman, and I started it as a project built as a DAO with the mission of finding every cure for every community. And so VibeBio is building a community of patients, scientists, and partners to help identify potential treatments for diseases, initially focus on rare diseases, and then fund them in innovative ways, namely through cryptocurrency token sales. And so uh, our hope here is for the first time to give patients the power to pursue a cure such that patients, not profits or politics drives the next generation of drug development.
1: Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Our son was recently in the hospital with bronchiolitis wasn't anything that was at all scary from a kind of just like, you you know, there's a way to treat it. And it's still terrifying. I can't imagine kind of the frustration of being a scientist, knowing the biology is there. And because the system doesn't reward smaller community drugs, not having Mm -hmm. the therapeutic available. That sounds, sounds awful. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Why is the system that way? Why is it that it's so hard to develop drugs when the biology is known. The path to getting to a therapeutic is known, but it doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, I think the key takeaway is that, unfortunately, the current drug development process just wasn't built for these types of diseases. Now, in the context of rare diseases, it actually impacts one in 10 Americans. And so there's actually a fair number of individuals who are affected by it. And based on a recent report from RareX, there's actually over 10,000 different rare diseases. To give you a sense of why this problem exists in the first place, let me maybe put you in the shoes of a parent who was just told by their doctor that their kid was diagnosed with a rare disease. In this circumstance, obviously when the doctor informs you that your child has a rare disease, though again, we know a lot about the biology, but don't have any treatments available today, puts the parents and the family in a fairly vulnerable, alone and frustrated situation. Their first recourse is to go beg biotech and pharmaceutical companies to work on their disease. I'm sure you can appreciate that when that happens, however, if you're a biotech or pharma company with limited resources and limited capacity, any rational manager, unfortunately, has to focus their technology and team on the highest potential disease areas because they have limited capacity. Naturally, what that means because of how those organizations are valued, namely through net present value calculations, They focus on the largest disease areas with the largest revenue opportunities. And though there's a real solid economic opportunity, because a given rare disease just doesn't have the same broader revenue potential as large-scale cancer or cardiovascular disease, unfortunately, they deprioritize rare diseases more often than not. In that circumstance, patients are relegated to one of two options. The first is the generosity of billionaires, or on the other hand, is a large volume of bake sales. This set of options, billionaires or bake sales, puts patients and their families in a really tough bind. VibeBio wants to create a better op. And so we're creating a community of patients, scientists, and partners to help identify and vet potential treatments for rare diseases, but then fund them in innovative ways, namely through cryptocurrency token sales. How does the process
1: work with VibeBio? From the very beginning, you identify a community or somebody comes to you and says, hey, We have this rare disease, there's no therapeutic available for it. Can you help us? What does beginning to end look like?
0: You know, the great thing about these patient communities is that this challenge of rare diseases, especially has existed for many decades. The strength that these communities have when they come together to identify a treatment, raise awareness, and raise capital has often manifested over the past half century as these patients coming together in the form of a charity raising money philanthropically, and then leveraging that capital to build a community, raise awareness, but then also invest in both the science and the drug development related to their disease. And so there's tens of thousands of these communities out there and many families who actually start to pursue their own potential therapeutics. So whether it's the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, which developed and funded a lot of the early work in cystic fibrosis, Folks like Martin Rothblatt and John Crowley, who as individuals raised money to develop treatments for age and Pompe's, respectively, as well as even the March of Dimes who developed the treatments, the vaccine for polio. We see the trend time and time again, where when there's a high unmet medical need in one place, but legacy institutions are focused elsewhere, patients come together in the form of a charity to be able to develop. So I share this initial context because as a community. Vibe is actually partnering directly with these existing patient charities, which have formed around these myriad of different diseases that have no treatment today. And so what it comes up in many cases that these patient communities have already invested in a variety of different drug development programs related to their disease. Actually as part of our launch this week, we're announcing two partnerships, one with NF2 BioSolutions and another with Chelsea's Hope, which are both fatal rare diseases. In both those cases, those communities have worked for years and in some cases more than a decade to actually invest in drug development to be able to potentially find a cure for their disease. But the common thread amongst those organizations, unfortunately, is that at some point they get stuck. They're able to show that this medicine has a tremendous amount of promise in petri dish or in an animal model, but lack the capital and the expertise and the focus from their partners to be able to get it into patients. And so Vibe Bio becomes a really keen partner for them because we can then bring to bear the capital and the collated expertise from our broader scientific and drug development community to help them identify best practices as an organization, but also advance those programs into the clinic. So many of these patient communities come to us with a proposal. We've got a candidate medicine. It shows amazing science, often preclinically, but then also empowers us to potentially move into the clinic if we had the capital expertise and, and resources to do so. So they come to us with this proposal and then our community of drug development experts helps vet and score those proposals to ensure that they meet the highest standards of compliance and also have a viable regulatory path. From those ranked and stacked proposals, we then fund them using the capital we have through our cryptocurrency token sales to then invest in the actual drug programs itself. So whether it's a clinical trial, compliant manufacturing or preclinical testing, we have the ability and an ecosystem that we're starting to build to help accelerate that approach.
1: How do you avoid the same thing that a big pharmaceutical company would look at, which is you have this stack of opportunities. Everybody's financially incentivized to find the things that that can generate the most money. How do you avoid just saying, like, all right, well, that seems like the biggest of the markets here. Let's just go do that one,
0: yeah, you know, I think the great thing about having a community owned approach to drug development is that you can actually put in the pans of the patient the opportunity to have, a say in what indications we pursue so from that overall perspective every patient advocacy we partner with gets tokens to be able to vote and participate in the drug development process and then experts uh, in the scientific side and the drug development side are vetting not for economic opportunity but for again scientific feasibility clinical pathways regulatory safety etc such that the best potential programs that have a clear scientific viability to treat a disease are the ones that are funded and that patients truly have agency in the process. So unlike a traditional pharmaceutical or biotech company, which does some great science and great work, those organizations focus on trying to optimize for profit and net present value. Nothing explicitly wrong with that, but just focuses the entire industry on a very small subset of disease. Here, I think we've got a unique opportunity by which patients can be in the driver's seat, not profits or politics. So I have to ask the question that I always get asked
1: whenever I write about any web three thing, which is why crypto, like why not set up a series of LLCs with each of these companies and go out and raise funding and, and do all of those sorts of things. What are the actual advantages that you get from building this kind of with web three tools? Awesome question.
0: You know, we get this question a lot as we start to build out by way. <laughs> Maybe to start out, let me just sort of share with you the perspective that, you know, when I was sitting in the NICU looking at my daughter who's held live by about half a dozen machines and a dozen different medicines. The choice that we made was to go and find a solution, not just for our disease, but also for those other families that also suffered in the NICU. Our ambition was not to go after one, but to create the infrastructure approach by which we could tackle potentially all of the diseases that are neglected and overlooked. And so what it required us to do is first, think about a technological and governance solution that allowed us to have infinite scalability of participation, but then also to a completely new source of capital that was interested in taking big swings and accomplishing big things. When you actually look at the biotech industry today, especially venture capital, there's about 30 to $40 billion probably this year that'll be invested in biotech companies. But a measurable portion of it will be later stage investments as opposed to the early stage research in this transitional stage from preclinical to clinical proof of concept. You juxtapose that maybe $10, $20 billion focused on that stage of biotech venture versus the nearly trillion dollars in capital that's available in crypto. And it becomes quite clear that there's a new source of capital that we want to bring to bear to the drug development domain. Further, unlike biotech venture, and Paki, you know this as an investor yourself, the asset class is inherently illiquid. As a consequence, the IRR constraints that a general partner has to meet then as a consequence, pushes them to slightly more conservative investments as opposed to a broader aperture of disease. So that's one rational mindset that I'd provide for you, which is the infinite scalability of both ownership and participation, the access to capital, especially liquid capital, made crypto a perfect solution for us. The other facet I'd also highlight here is that when you look at the other approaches by which one could do this, whether it be a charity, an academic institution, or even a C-Corp or LLC, as you alluded to, there ends up becoming inherent limitations in terms of the quantity of capital, the types of expertise, as well as the quantity of owners and participants you can actually have in the process. And so again, our ambition at Vibe and our mission is to find every cure for every community and not just the 250 who are accredited investors or qualified purchasers, right, that are allowed to participate in these sorts of traditional type institutions. So that's why we chose web three and that's what we're passionate about, sort of committing to this ecosystem and hopefully being the first to show how web three and biotech can, can merge and, and work together collaboratively.
1: I love it. Obviously this is an interesting thing to work out how to structure. And I think you probably went through a bunch of different iterations for people out there who are thinking about establishing a DAO that has a real world impact, what was the process
0: that you went through to come to this structure? Yeah. So maybe let me walk you through sort of how Vibe executes today, but then also how we sort of see this broader trend of what we call industry DAOs emerging and provide some context for the audience thereafter. So first off, when it comes to Vibe, we are structured as a DAO. We have tokens, which is the Vibe token, which is our governance token. We grant those tokens to patients, drug development experts, partners, so they can have a voice as part of the drug development process. And we can also sell a small portion of those tokens to external investors, not boring capital included, and yourself. And so that allows this community then to build up a balance sheet to be able to then invest in drug development programs. Our unique insight is that the community really provides a unique source of ideas, capital, but then also helps to prioritize where that capital should be allocated. When it comes to the actual drug development, however, is that once a proposal is approved, we actually set up a C Corp biotech that is co-owned between the DAO and the patient charity focused on that disease. The capital is then applied to that organization such that that focused C-Corp can actually do the things like running a clinical trial, handling compliance, doing manufacturing, et cetera. Our approach here is to ensure that the community can focus on its strength of prioritization and capital allocation, while drug development experts can actually do the drug development, the trials, patient recruitment, things of that nature day to day. So it's that bifurcated approach that we think empowers velocity from the DAO, but then also ensures that there's focus by experts in the areas where it's needed. So that's the structure. And believe me, you know, Josh and I have spoken to just about every legal entity that exists out there that works in the Web3 to figure out the right potential structure. We feel particularly passionate about this approach because it allows, again, for the community to focus on its strength and then also drug development experts to do the same with shared economics, with the right parties at the table. So as I alluded to earlier, what we're seeing now, I think, is this broader thesis of what we call industry DAOs starting to unfold. If you abstract what we're really doing, we've identified a circumstance whereby there's a community of individuals who are very passionate about a specific problem. Existing institutions are focused elsewhere. And so we see the DAO as a unique construct by which this community now can start to coordinate access capital and then go attempt to solve said problem that approach and what i just described in the abstract can be applied to a myriad of domains climate change to finance construction to space i think we'll start to leverage this approach of bringing together you know their community of users partners financiers to help them identify those problems coordinate potential solutions and then drive those into market so we really see it as a unique approach by which communities can be empowered. And I think this approach that by bio is taking is demonstrating its applicability in the biotech sector. And I truly credit, I think a lot of the work that you guys did with Constitution ConstitutionDAO as showing the inevitability of how DAOs as a construct can remediate some of these problems that communities are really passionate about. It makes
1: me very happy to hear because like, this is one of the, my like meta points on the space is there's all this silly shit happening and Constitutionally like, would have been fun to own that thing, but it was, it was silly but then hopefully it just like kind of sparks something that can actually have a real world impact and get drugs to market and maybe send people to space and so It's very cool to hear that one of the things that that went into this and, and hopefully people can look at the silly experiments as having an impact on the much more meaningful projects that are being built in the space.
0: As one of the early core members of Constitution, you might think of it as silly, but I would actually even just challenge that notion as well, because for me personally, as a first generation immigrant, it actually was a unique opportunity for me to participate, what felt like, you know, an opportunity to to contribute a little bit, right, incrementally to the history and the ownership that this country has over its founding documents, right? And I remember reading through, I think, the juice box contributions to the DAO and just being moved by individuals saying, hey, I just moved to this country from XYZ continent, and I now have the opportunity to actually have a little bit of ownership and, and contribution back to this really meaningful document, which is why I came to this country in the first place as an example. So though I think many who you may or may not have spoken to on podcasts in the past may denigrate the the concept of a DAO and its impact, I think, especially in the case of Constitution DAO, in addition to it being a validating entity for us Vibe, I'd also say for me personally. And for many of those who come from foreign lands, I'd say it also served as a unique inspiration and a unique opportunity for us to participate in, yeah, again, the founding documents of this country in in a unique way. So I I don't know how many folks challenge you on your own podcast, but, you know, hopefully you take that away as as a positive. No, you're right. I I didn't, I didn't mean to to downplay because that was, I
1: mean, one of the most magical parts of that whole experience was looking through all of the comments on the juice box. And I mean, what's the internet for, if not getting a group of strangers together to feel like you're kind of a part of something. And I think that that captured that really magically. You mentioned going from preclinical to clinical, what's the whole drug development process look like? This is, you know, a broader tech podcast. I don't have a lot of biotech experts out there. And, and I'm personally curious, like from the very beginning through all the trials, like how long does everything take? Where are all the costs? Walk walk us through the industry.
0: Yeah, you know, so the biotech industry is roughly about a one, $1.1 $1. $1 trillion year industry distributed across medicines mostly. In that circumstance, the drug development process is one whereby companies and institutions are trying to understand whether for a specific disease, a given medicine is both safe and efficacious. That's essentially the entire purpose of drug development. Now, in the context of how this works is it starts out with an idea of this potential compound or approach in a early stage discovery sort of context with that sort of canonical light bulb type idea of saying, hey, I think this approach or this material could potentially treat this disease. And so a lot of tests are then run in a Petri dish with cells and with liquids to show that this medicine actually works for this specific disease, at least in this construct. From there, those medicines are then tested in a more rigorous fashion in animals, in more sophisticated tests and machines, To be able to show how that material behaves, whether it be in a more humanistic like context, like a mouse or a monkey. With that initial data and a plan, many companies and institutions then approach the FDA, the regulatory body that determines what medicines are approved, with a package of data, what's known as an IND, to be able to convince them to say, hey, this medicine is safe. It's shown some potential promise in as close to a human as we can get. Please give us the approval to go test it in people. From there, you then enter what's known as clinical development, where you're actually testing that medicine in people, to hopefully show the actual effect of that medicine, whereby the concluding data from those sets of tests are then compiled into an NDA, which is then a reapproach to the FDA to say, hey, we've shown that this medicine works in people. Please let us approve it and sell it in the broader market. So that's a rough three to four step process, if you will, of again, ensuring that we've got medicines that are safe and work. The challenge, however, that often emerges, as we kind of alluded to earlier, is that for every step of that drug development process, the costs grow roughly 10x. So when you go from discovery, when you have just that initial idea, to preclinical development, to clinical development, then approval, the costs ratchet 10x. So you can appreciate that when you are a biotech or pharma company with limited resources and limited capacity, when you've shown that something works you know, in preclinical testing, and then now you're trying to tee up to go into the clinic, you've got to be really, really sure that that's the bet that you want to make because you have limited cash and limited personnel to pursue those sorts of activities. What's the average
1: time and dollars it takes to bring a drug to market?
0: Yeah. So the average time I think you'll sort of see is on the order of one to two decades. If you sort of really map from the first point of inception of that idea to all the way, it's commercial approval second i think you often see in the aggregate right on the order of one to two billion dollars it takes per drug to be developed and that's i think a, a rough calculation of sort of the amount of dollars spent on biotech r d divided by the number of drugs approved in that period of time the challenge however i think is in the context of rare disease and this is part of i think where the industry may have sort of some blinders on is that first and foremost in the context of rare disease the time to develop a treatment is often longer than the time that a patient has left. Right. Second, in the case of rare diseases where you have smaller patient population, it actually costs substantially less and is actually substantially faster than in other domains. So some of the drug development work that we're looking at, it takes maybe only a few million dollars, maybe 10 or $15 million to be able to actually get a medicine to an approved state. And the timeline might actually be on the order of one to two years to run some of these phases in part because it's a smaller patient population so you need a smaller number of people with whom you can sort of trial and test the efficacy of a medicine so it just changes the economics of the equation and that's what we see as the DAO as being a unique construct because that quantity of capital is far more tractable you have a vibrant community that's passionate about it and often understands the disease better than a lot of experts that are out there because of its rare nature and the timeline is somewhat fast because you can actually Bring that medicine to market quickly and so in our case vibe bio is building a community of patients scientists and partners to help identify and vet potential treatments for rare diseases and fund them in innovative ways and so our hope here is truly to put the patient in the driver's seat of drug development not profits or politics
1: there we go what's been the most surprising part of starting this to you. I mean, you've both been a scientist and an entrepreneur, so maybe the kind of general entrepreneurship stuff isn't new and, and surprising, but this is a wild, wild thing to pursue. What's been
0: surprising or challenging that you wouldn't have expected? Yeah. Let's start with a, a positive thing. I'd say in our circumstance, you know, both Josh and I are serial entrepreneurs. We've both spent time at the interface of tech and biotech for, for many years, but for all the companies that we start and all the hundreds of millions of dollars we've raised before this project, In terms of execution thus far, and I really hope I don't kick myself for saying this on a recorded podcast, is that this has actually been one of the most enjoyable and actually somewhat easiest projects for us to work on thus far. The reason for that is because we're working side by side with patients day in, day out. So even though we might have a bad day where, you know, a candidate didn't accept an offer or, you know, an investor decided not to invest in our round, when we have a call the next day with a patient community, and see the determination, their grit, their hope that they have, it just gives us so much momentum and energy and puts gas back in our tank and allows us to have perspective that really what's important is them, the patient. And all the other things that sort of often lead to lows in a startup circumstance just end up melting by the wayside. So I'd say that would be the the most positive, most surprising thing about this experience so far is just the amount of support and positivity and the amount of energy that these patient communities have and how that truly motivates every single individual at the table at Vibe in our community today. That's awesome. All right. Now I'm going to push you to give me something that's been hard challenging. Yeah. I'd say the number one difficulty for us has been how do we articulate what it is that we're doing? We are very much at the cutting edge of two very distinct and often orthogonal disciplines. Web3 crypto community on one hand, and then drug development for rare diseases on the other, right? These are two communities that rarely, if ever, spend any time together, and we're charting this new path and this completely new business model and approach to drug development. Articulating why, articulating for whom, articulating why we're going to win has been really difficult, I'd say, so far. It's resonated completely strongly with patients and the right drug developers with the right mindset. However, has been a broader challenge when we spoke with, you know, broader investors, whether they be in the biotech or the crypto spaces or the tech spaces, as well as people outside of the rare disease community. And so I'd say that's been the hardest part. I think the other part that I'd also just highlight about our industry in life science is that we tend to have a measurable portion that are sort of early adopters, 5, 10, 15% of the industries that way. But then we have a fair bit who are fairly conservative, right? When you start to bring up new sources of capital, new business models, there tends to be, I think, a lot more reticence to engage as well as a lack of understanding around how technology impacts the industry, which we've seen historically. So I'd say it's, it's the messaging and the, the the broader exposure that's been the hardest part. So, What do you think
1: tips that? Like, is there a number of drugs that you want to get to market or some success metrics that you think like, The industry will have to sit up and take notice if we get to X point successfully.
0: Yeah. As we alluded to earlier, given the timeline it takes to be able to actually develop a medicine, it's often a 10 or 20 year journey from inception to approval to be able to know whether your thesis actually worked out. So I think in our case, some of the things that will be interim milestones to that approval will be getting our first IND filed with the FDA. Second would be a partnership with a pharmaceutical company in terms of working and advancing one of their programs or them taking the baton to actually continue the advancement or commercialization of a promising medicine. And then, of course, the most important part, I'd say, is approval and being able to get into patients, I think, would be another piece of that. Those are some of the initial, both interim and long-term milestones. And I think in our case, because as a community of patients, scientists and partners that's motivated by fi- to find every cure for every community, all we really care about is the safety and speed with which we bring medicines to market. The life science industry tends to be a little unique and different than other domains, which is that if you truly develop a product that works for a real disease area, the economics tend to work itself out. That's not the case in a lot of other industries, including tech. And so in our circumstance, we see if we can get medicines to patients for diseases that they care about, we'll be able to sleep at night and die happy as individuals working in, at Vibe. But, you know, I think these incremental individual steps will show that we're on the right path. We
1: started the conversation with the 10-year view and and the every cure for every disease. When you picture that in your head, is that vibe finding all of those cures as a community? Or is it like we do 10 of these and then big pharma perks up, you know, other DAOs out there start to form. And as a group, we we cure these 10,000 diseases. What's the ideal state in your mind?
0: Yeah, I think this is where the philosophy of sort of Web 2 or pre, you know, on-prem, if you will, to Web 3, I think, differs highly. I think the goal here is to be able to demonstrate a new business model and approach to drug development that puts patients back at the center and in the driver's seat. Second, I would say would be in the context of DAOs and crypto, the beauty of everything that we're doing, whether it be from a governance standpoint or a token issuance, et cetera, Is instantiated in code, what are the implications when something's instantiated in code and you want to now apply it to a completely different area, all you need to do is push a button and you can then replicate it for other disease areas over time. So though we would love to be the end-all be-all of drug development, I think success is going to emerge when VIBE can show from a governance perspective, from a community building standpoint, from a drug development expertise standpoint, here are the best practices. Here are the components that can be instantiated into code, as well as aspects of the smart contracts that can help expedite the execution that could then be leveraged for other projects and programs over time. Some of the things we're we're talking about with other organizations, potentially taking what we're doing in the rare disease space, but then replicating it for domains like ALS or cancer or cardiovascular diseases, or even think about geographic domains, right? The diseases that folks in Southeast Asia or Latin America care about are going to be different than what we care about here in the States, as an example. So why not empower more communities to be in that, in that driver's seat and leverage the technology and learnings and the best practices we're driving at Vibe as a means by which they can then employ them themselves.
1: Would you think about doing those as sub DAOs or it's just kind of like, hey, here, code's open source, take these and and go to your own thing?
0: I could, you know, I don't think we're particularly dogmatic about either approach. I think a sub-doubt makes some sense in many cases, given that we are already building this vibrant community of patients, scientists, and partners. You know, I think one of the other peak facets of this experience that has been a little surprising has been how similar the biotech and Web3 industries are. I think one of the key facets and takeaways here is that you need a community to be able to develop a Web3 protocol or DAO you also need a community, a village even, to develop a medicine. And so I think there's definitely a lot of alignment and leveraging that same community to be able to go after other adjacent disease areas. But again, more medicines to market is really the end goal. And whatever little we can do to make that a reality, we'd be over the moon for. I read an interesting piece in Future
1: that was kind of just a quick overview guide of what's going on in decentralized science or de Obviously funding is probably the biggest piece and the piece that, that you're focused on, but the article talked about, you know, going around the big research journals and all these other areas where DSI might have an impact as someone who's worked on the academic side of this and in labs, like what pieces do you think would do well moving to web three and what, what pieces do you think might be challenging?
0: It's a really awesome question. And, you know, we're really glad to be in good company with other folks out there working in decentralized science, decentralized biotech, et cetera. I think there is, in the academic side, a lot of opportunity to be able to rethink some of these approaches and existing infrastructure and governance mechanisms. Funding, you mentioned, is a great example, whereby, you know, majority of it is controlled by the NIH and the NSF and other institutions, which have done phenomenal work. You know, don't get us wrong. But I think at the same time, What we're seeing is that when there are completely new technologies that are being developed almost on a daily basis, we need to have other additional mechanisms that augment financing to be able to ensure that these promising technologies get a shot on goal. And so I think finance, financing is definitely one part of it. You mentioned publishing as another interesting example. You know, I think the context of a paper having published in journals like Nature Chemistry, Nature, Myself, the paper and its construct kind of hasn't really changed much over the past, say, century, if not multiple centuries. When we think about science today, it's really an agglomeration of one, the data, right? What's the output of the work being done? The second, the process, what did I do? But then third, the story, which I'd say is why I did what I did. And so I think there's a really unique opportunity for us now to start to bifurcate those different streams and those jobs to be done. And Web3 becomes a really interesting community driven approach to be able to, to distribute, disseminate even reinstantiate, as we talked about before, some of those same techniques. I think those are some of the key facets of, of where I think DSI could go. Obviously, we're sort of the step that happens right after that when it comes to drug development, which is once you've identified an interesting potential project or, or material or therapeutic, you now have to run through a, a myriad of additional gauntlets that are unique to the drug development industry. And so we're excited to partner with those entities. But it all starts with the people and the, the know-how, I think, to make it a reality. Last one,
1: and this is an easy one. Where can people find and get involved in by bio? What types of people are you looking to add
0: to the community right now? Who should be looking into getting involved? Make your pitch. Yeah. Well, you know, what I'll say is that, you know, we're really fortunate that we're uh, announcing, right, a $12 million round of financing led by initialized capital with, you know, Packy yourself amongst other really phenomenal investors participating. So we're in a really unique position whereby we can actually start to bring on folks to help work alongside with us. In addition, we're building out a broader community of patients, scientists, and partners to help us identify and vet potential medicines for rare diseases, but then also to fund them. And so we're looking to build and bring on folks of all different stripes, whether it be folks on the community management side, marketing, web three engineering, front end user experience and user interface design. We're looking for a myriad of different skill sets on the technology side of what Vibe does. But in addition, you know, on the therapeutic side, you know, folks who have, who are passionate about a given disease or members of patient advocacy groups who are keen to identify solutions or therapies for the, for the disease that they care about, we'd love to hear from you as well, as well as experienced drug developers. You know, one of the, the interesting things about our work so far has been the, the outpouring of interest and support and help that's come from the broader drug development community in terms of supporting our ability to vet and identify potential programs, but then also help advance them into the clinic. So I'd say we've got a broad scope of individuals who we'd love to to work with and partner with, and if you're looking to find us, you can find us on Twitter at vibe underscore bio, or you can also find us online at www.vibebio.com, V-I-B-E-B-I-O.com. And we'd love to have you as part of a community as we open it up as part of this launch.
1: Yeah. There's so much to congratulate you on. The the new site looks great. Good work by by our friends at Slope. And Michael Dudas has been on Twitter, just kind of talking the world about what you have going on at Vibe. I believe he, he, the night before you announced, he tweeted something like, this is the most important you know investment I've made. And I, I'm not able to sleep tonight because I'm so excited about it and has been out there cheerleading. This is one that I'm you know super pumped to, to be able to back and, and to root for you and, and get involved in any way that I can. So hopefully everybody listening, figure out a way to to get involved and, and join the Vibe movement. Yeah. Look, thanks so much for coming on.
0: Thank you so much, Packy. Really appreciate the opportunity. Excited to have you in our corner and excited to hopefully continue to build this movement as you described it, right? To enable communities and patients to to own medicines and develop them themselves. I think we're at a really unique point in time, both from a biotech industry, but then also from a Web3 domain specifically. And we're excited to be at that forefront. So thank you again for this opportunity.
1: Amen.